Welcome to the Fan Engagement Pod. This episode is a chat with Deborah Dilworth, Head of Women's Football at the Football Supporters Association, the FSA. Our paths very nearly crossed as she joined Supporters Direct not long after I left, though she was then working in the men's game with Supporters Trusts. She took up a role post-merger of SD and the FSF and now leads on the FSA's work in the women's game. She meets with the FA and other key stakeholders regularly and supports and advises the new slew of supporters organisations in the rapidly growing women's game. Pound for pound, this is one of the best episodes I've ever done of the pod. Deborah doesn't have a fixed mindset on the issues and our chat is a proper exploration of some of the issues that are currently affecting a game that, let's not forget, wasn't even allowed to exist until the early 1970s, after a ban lasting from the early 20s was finally lifted. I hope you enjoy the episode. I'm planning on getting Debs back on for another chat in the future. If you want to get in touch, ask a question, or even suggest a topic or guest, drop me a line at hello at fanengagement.net. Don't forget, episode links are in the podcast description. And please like, subscribe and share. It really does help our visibility in a crowded podcast world. We had a little chat a while back and we were kind of talking about um, the women's game and I've, with the sort of multiple hats I wear, um, you know, in my teaching, I've had some involvement in um, helping some of my students with, with a project with Women's National League Clubs. Um, uh, with regards to my role at the Dons Trust, as I'm the director there, and the ownership of ASC Wimbledon, and that also includes ASC Wimbledon women, um, uh, you know, looking at their sort of position and what they're doing and, um, and all that kind of thing. And then obviously the major reason I'm doing this, or the, the reason I'm doing this is because I think fan engagement, because I'm interested in this fan engagement and, and also the sort of development of football clubs um, in the women's space. Um, and the thing that I start to kind of, started to kind of come to, I wouldn't say it's a conclusion, but my sort of, it, where, where my thinking is kind of landing is, is it all looks to me a bit too much like lots of men's football, big men's football clubs saying, oh, well, there's a useful bit of brand, um, a brand growth for us. Let's, um, let's work with a women's football club or establish a women's football club. And this isn't the case everywhere. I'm not saying it's everywhere, but it just seems to be happening quite a lot in my view. Um, and, and I'm not sure I'm, 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 whether this is being done thoughtfully or with a view to what, whether the women's game is even that different in their minds. So that's the reason I wanted to talk to you because you're the head of women's football. And am I, <laughs> the first question such as it is, or the first point of discussion is, is it, is that's what, is that what is happening in, in you know, or, or, or am I kind of getting it a little bit wrong or wildly wrong? No, I don't think it's um, wrong. I think that it's understandable to have that perception um, to a degree. I think um, on the branding kind of stuff, the, you know, there is an argument to be made um, that there is a sub, there, there are sub brands of a main brand, which then is troubling because, you know, you don't necessarily have your own identity. You don't have your own unique uh, selling points. There's not like distinction necessarily 
um, which makes women's football what it is um, and the, the beauty of the women's game. Um, I think it's difficult in some senses because while we have seen basically now the professional, the top professional women's league is uh, almost feels a little bit like a miniature Premier League because the clubs are involved and that flies in the face of the history of the game. The clubs that have generally been involved in sort of pushing the women's game forward there has also been pressure applied to the biggest men's teams um, over the course of a number of years to do something in this space. So, you know, in some senses, it kind of is, it's been asked for, so then why would they not try to do it and try to sort of put more money and investment into it? Um, so, that, you know, kind of like, would 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 people react if they were not, helping or sort of starting to establish um, the women's game to a degree. So there is a bit of a balance, in my opinion. Um, it's then that, then how it tilts to be in favour of those clubs. So if the licensing requirements require absolutely loads of money, well, only a certain amount of people can do that. Um, you know, it shouldn't be that we're kind of creating an uneven pyramid or an uneven, uh, an unlevel playing field in order for there to be successful women's teams, it should, there should be a bit more balance about it for the benefit of the entire pyramid. That's where it starts to tilt into more of a worrying sub-brand sphere. Um, yeah, no, well, so, I mean, you know, the other day, this is, this is kind of very relevant, I think. The other day, one of the clubs that, um, that some of my students worked on with UCFB, um, one of them uh, folded, Hounslow Women. And, yeah. And they, they were obviously avowedly very independent, um Martino Shivanis, who's a terrific fella, you know, I could kind of, and I'm, you know, meeting him a few times and speaking to him, I could kind of almost see the pain etched on his face at trying to make this thing work. Mm -hmm. Um, so is it, you know, I'm not asking you to comment specifically on the case on the issue of, of Hounslow women, because that, you know, I don't I don't know enough about it, even though I've had some involvement. That that might be just a little bit of, well you know, there are going to be clubs that can't survive because you are moving to a, you already, we already have, a lot of people might not realise, we already have a functioning women's pyramid. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing that kind of necessarily developing, probably developing at quite a speed that we didn't, we never saw that in the men's game because that's happened, has been allowed to happen, should I say, over a hundred odd years, whereas the women's game was um, put out of business until the, mm. the early 70s. So maybe it's just kind of, you know, hyperspeed development. And that's where sometimes you're going to see a few very sad, but you're going to see a few maybe clubs like that go out of business. But it's yeah. Well, carry on, Sorry, I was just going to say, I, I can't. I actually sent that case to myself the other day to look into a little bit because I'm interested to understand, <clears throat> excuse me, why, why that decision was made. Um, and it seems such a shame. And this is where I think it's interesting because... You know, we you know, heard a lot about the fan-led review, uh, which is predominantly focused on the men's game, with the women's game sort of having a, a suggestion or a recommendation to pull a separate review into the, the women's game. But it sort of seems that people don't appreciate the crisis club situation within the women's game. They don't, they see it as lesser than or it's not as worrying um, but there's actually like if you look across the women's game in its entirety that is littered with crisis clubs on lots of different levels and so for me this is the fact that a club has folded and has gone out of the national league 
that really where was intervention in in that situation and how do we do that going forwards to avoid stuff like this happening and for them to just for it to just kind of be accepted is is not right um yeah kind of but, almost a shrug of the shoulders is is kind of how not being in bed is interesting you know you kind of you're saying that that it's kind of these things that this 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 club has kind of just disappeared without much um comment let alone wailing and gnashing of teeth which you get you know if a if a men's club even comes close into close to folding yeah um but i suppose again that's it sort of perhaps does come back to that thing that you, we're seeing development in hyperspeed but then that's kind of why you then someone and i'm and i'm and i you know it's going to be the fa at this stage because they are still in charge at least nominally of the um of the game in a way they're not in the men's game it's kind of for them to get that grip. Is that um, in that you know? That's my view. Is is that is um, so the the review of women's football. The bit that the bit that could get lost here in the whole sort of high level interesting conversation about um, about all you know the organisations whether they you know whether they're professional whether they're semi pro whatever is. Um, the, the sort of notion of fandom, you know, when you've got clubs like Hounslow, who, um, you know, who laboured away, and I'm not given to believe they had a particularly big fan base, if any, really, you know, just kind of handful of fans. Um, that all kind of could get lost, couldn't it? And it's sort of, you've, this is why your role is so important, right? So, it, you know, actual fans of women's clubs, is, is there a whole sort of stream of work in the review that's very much about that and about um you know the loyalty perhaps that that women's clubs are attracting and that's kind of dealing with some of the assumptions about it because i'm assuming people think that you can kind of almost just move one bit of the fan base from men's club across to a women's club which is you know accords with that idea of extending the brand have yeah. I just kind of asked a very muddled question? Did you <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with it in a couple of different parts. Yeah, so yeah. Just going back to the Hounslow case, I think there's no doubt in my mind that both from a local FA level and a national like FA level, like then I, I would imagine that there was work to try to avoid that situation. So it's again, it's case by case situation, and you know you've got a lot of people working across the FA tirelessly to push the women's game forward. So and sometimes it's sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't. So the commercial deal that was struck with the WSL was important to some degree because obviously it's providing revenue into the women's game. However, for, from our perspective as uh, supporting match going fans, it's then difficult. You know, you can't then forsake the match going fans and inconvenience them just for this deal. Um, you know, but sometimes I think it is you are put in a very difficult situation to want to try to drive the game forward, but also recognising all the other kind of pitfalls of potentially doing that. You know, who do you then enter into commercial partnerships with? So we've actually seen with some clubs, um, you know, sponsorship that has then caused fury, but then has been applied to the, the women's game. So BK8, for example, caused immense fury. Uh, I think Norwich was the first one to potentially sign with that from recollection. Other clubs have then been approached by this sponsor, but then are applying um, this sponsorship and the, to the women's teams as well. The problem with that sponsorship and the reason why it caused so much uh, problem was because of the sort of degrading imagery it, it used for women. So you then have these situations where 
the women's game's hand is tied because it's like people will argue, oh, well, you want investment, but then you, you're you being fussy. But actually, we know from the men's game, there's so many, there's so many uh, like unethical brands that potentially are are sort of using football um, and do we want that in the women's game so it's to go on to the sort of second bit of your question which was around the women's game review you know these are some of the suggestions we put forward in our evidence to say like you know the, there's a golden opportunity on many different levels commercially and um, to sort of think about and be a bit more clear about who you want to partner with and whether it's um sort of good and and helpful for women and girls uh, whether your brands are doing that and they're they're genuine in that attempt in those uh, approaches and then se- secondly you know in and around fan engagement there's such an such a good opportunity here to build fan engagement at the core of anything going forwards any clubs going forwards because ultimately it's the fans that will stay now, this is where it's interesting in the women's game because fandom fandom is a little bit different in the sense of you've got some fans that will be diehard for their club. If they support Man United men, they'll be supporting Man United women. You've got some fans that will follow players around um, and, you you know, the Lionesses, for example, their success after the summer and even before that, you've got supporters that just generally want to follow them or a specific player. And then you've got the general football fans. So I would say I'm a generally a supporter of the women's game because I, I, de- I desperately want the women's game as an entirety to go forwards. So what's interesting, though, is I think in that sense, if you start to build supporter engagement and fan engagement at the heart of the club in lots of different ways, you then don't have this messiness that the men's game seems to have had where they've completely ignored supporters for such a number of years and still it's a fight it's a fight to get into the room and be seen as a proper stakeholder um so yeah i think the women's game review should be fundamental in building that into the game um on a lot of different levels whether or not it does is remaining to be seen um, so I think it's something that we kind of need to keep an active eye on uh, because they will miss a, a, a absolutely brilliant opportunity to sort of see supporters as something different. Yeah, that that point about sponsorship, I took to go back to that um, and, and and partnerships and sort of commercial relationships. Um, that that's the bit where if what you're doing is just looking at things as a brand extension, then and you then go, well, why wouldn't you want this partnership? Um, it's for the football club and you go yeah but aren't we supposed to be a bit different aren't we supposed to be Norwich City Women's Football Club or you know AFC Women and Women in my case you know the, the club that I follow and involved in um, but that it's giving people a jolt isn't it it's um, and perhaps even at a time when because obviously the men's game to some degree is well it's not to some degree it's about to be in a real state of flux when the independent regulator is introduce whenever whenever that happens we all know it's going to happen because whoever whoever's in power over the next five years is going to implement a regulator um, mm. labor have pledged to it and the tories are doing it anyway so it is this is all kind of um i wouldn't say it's it sounds like everything's kind of up for grabs but to some degree like you're saying with the women's game um it's a real challenge to in some ways to the model of how clubs have been operating isn't it traditionally because it is we all know, we've all got stories of, you know, how the owner did this and the owner did that. And if you're going to build something from the bottom up and, and something new, especially at clubs that in the women's game that didn't even exist, you know, maybe five or ten years ago, you can't just sort of stomp in and start saying, well, it'll all be like this, because it won't last. So 
the bit that the bit that's interesting then is who are they actually appealing to the clubs um, in in your experience? And I don't just mean the top ones. I'm I'm kind of can see how you can make that work because you know that's a bit. It's I'm not going to say it's easy because football isn't easy. We know that running clubs is a tough business, but it's easier there, right? You've got the exposure of the women's super league, all that stuff, the deals. Further down, what's it? What are you appealing to if you're if you're I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't raise someone like Doncaster Rovers Bells because they've been around for a long time. But one of one of the sort of new emergent clubs, um, you know, perhaps in a sort of third tier or fourth tier of women's football. What are they appealing to? Who are they appealing to? And if they're independent from a men's club, say, um, is it London Lion? I can't remember what they're called now, but there's a, a, a sort of um, a, 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 a sort of southeast London club that used to be associated with Millwall. Yes, London Lionesses. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, who are they appealing to? Who are these? Who are these clubs looking for? If they're a, if they're a, if, so a, if, I'll clarify that. If they're a women's national league club, uh, and they're an part of an established football club. Who are they appealing to? And if they're a, an independent football club away from a men's football club, who are they appealing to? Who yeah. are these two groups looking to, to actually get to come to matches? I mean, attached to a men's club, I think there's been the sort of approach to go, OK, well, can we try and get some of the supporters of the men's game over to the women's game? Now, for me... I, I don't necessarily think that that's the right approach. and I, But I know there's a lot of people that are adamant from, you know, marketers to club reps that are adamant that that is the approach and that's the way to grow the audience. However, potentially you are then just literally, and this is where it just gets a bit worrying, you're literally slapping the same model on to the women's game and not kind of thinking about it in a different way. Um, so... But you've got that approach to a degree that some people just want to try to acquire supporters from the men's game or the men's club. You might actually might have that anyway. You've got standalone supporters that just want to support the women's game and want to support a local women's game. And I think they're growing more and more. And then you've got potentially other audiences that might not have might not have felt welcome at football generally, but do feel welcome at a women's game. And so you've got this kind of new audience that you potentially could tap into. Now, if you kind of don't focus on that and you focus on the ones from the men's game and you potentially the women's game has always had a fairly good reputation for sort of like what happens in the stands and the approach of the chance and whatnot. A lot of our supporters groups have often taken out swearing for example in some of the sort of songs and chants that they sing mindful of a family audience and mindful of just not singing those things so you potentially have and this is not to blame men's football because there's actually loads of fans that go to men's football that don't want to engage in that behavior and actually just want to go and support their team but you've got potentially some traits that might then apply or come over to the women's game and then therefore you've created the same problem again without any real thinking behind it um in which case then this audience that actually i've never really felt welcome at football get further and further away because they see football as aggressive or upsetting and not in inclusive um so i mean i think for the standalone women's teams this is where again it's interesting it will be interesting to see how the review goes because it can't be that those standalone teams sort of are so uh, it's so weighted in the favour of the ones that are dependent on a men's team that then they can't survive. 
you know, we've got so many successful standalone women's teams that actually it would be a shame to not think that they could thrive up the pyramid uh, and be standalone. So I think sometimes it's it's culturally at the minute it's going to be difficult. There's still a bit of a perception of women's football being lesser than, um, you know, uh, but generally speaking, I think they are trying to work with closer groups around the community and sort of, you know, reaching out to different audiences that way. Um so it's sort of it's still very much like flits floats between lots of different audiences, but I'd say the bigger clubs are eyeing up the ones that are going to the men's game. And across market. And that yeah. I mean that for me, I have to be honest, and I I'm kind of a little bit more full throated about about this in my criticism of this, is I think for me, one of the big problems uh, and in the game has been, I think it's been in the grip of the wrong form of marketing for far too long. And I mean that across the, the sport. I think it's kind of a very sales driven approach um, and looking, always looking at football as an entertainment product. And it occurred to me the other day when I was thinking about this, that whilst yeah, football is entertainment, um, you know, the talent gets the money. We understand all of that. However, does the record industry, um, the film industry, film and TV, does it have a series of monopolies operating in a, as a group of cartels in a league that you can't join unless you have special permission from a central governing body? No, that's what makes it different. And I think that's the bit that, you know, the idea that you can just continue to build it as an entertainment brand and therefore everything you do is about growing your brand reach is mostly patent nonsense. And I think good... I will add to this, I think good marketers understand that, and I know some good marketers, don't get me wrong, but I just think it's been in the grip of the wrong kind of approach. But that kind of comes to then, this is when you kind of get into all those knotty questions about identity and stuff, isn't it? So, an ownership, right? That's such a big part of what football is in the men's sphere, right? And, you know, it's the predominant sphere of football. That's just how it's been because of all the things we know that, that, that got done to the women's game to keep it from growing all of those issues it's quite interesting because all of those issues amongst fandom you would hope maybe not cease to be an issue for the women's game but if it's done right you've kind of removed a lot of those problems so our supporting our clubs becomes or supporting the women's club becomes a kind of more simple affair in a way in that well we, it's about actually being a fan instead of is my club going to survive after next week or is it going out of business? You know, notwithstanding obviously what's happened with, with Hounslow. So that kind of touches on that whole thing. And I remember um, if I can, if I can mention it, I remember you saying to me that some people criticize or a little bit kind of, yeah, kind of a bit critical of this whole idea of positively supporting your, your team in the women's game. That's a bit of a thing, isn't it? That somehow, <laughs> It, some people seem to think it's a bit weird being really positive about, <laughs> do you know what I mean? About following, but that's kind of, from, I'm, from my memory in Germany, that, that they're much more like that there. They, they're, they're about much more about supporting their team than they're about barracking the opposition. Whereas over here, and if you go to Ireland, it's like it actually in, in the Republic, it's a lot of barracking the other, the opposition rather than, don't you want your side to win? Isn't that the point? Mm. That is, is there a difference there? Am I, am, am I remembering our conversation correctly? 
No, yeah, you are. I mean, I think, though, this is where it's going to get interesting in terms of fandom as well, because, you know, there's a certain... Different people want different things. Different supporters want different things. And I think this is where clubs have struggled sometimes to kind of really acknowledge that and also cater to that properly. Um, you know, and there's also what it's like in the men's games, it's like dragged towards this kind of understanding of it. Um, some clubs do it really well and they benefit from that. I think in the women's game, there is the often it's been passion, not poison. So, and I think that that's because like, actually to sort of disagree slightly with what you've just said in the sense of, it's not simpler in the women's game because it's it, you're chronically worried, I would say, about potential history repeating itself. And then you see crisis clubs. So Hounslow, that like that is a worry for me because I kind of think, well, who's the next Hounslow? You know, a couple of years ago, we had Coventry that were in trouble. It, the the gloss of the WSL is it's great to one degree, but some of these, you know, some of there's some issues across the game still that we're seeing, you know, different athletes are dealing with different things, you know, um, policies that are not potentially put in place, uh, you know, facilities that are not up to scratch, uh, training facilities where women's teams have been excluded from them. You know, it's like, there's still quite a lot of things where, it's hard because you don't necessarily want to use the men's game as a benchmark in some things, but in some ways you kind of think, well, actually, why are, why is, why is it that men's players have gotten the, got, got to the point that they are particularly at the elite level. And then the women's players are still sort of struggling. So I think there's like, there is a chronic worry across the leagues, you know, because you never know if your club might actually be in jeopardy or if at the whim of an owner, if you're attached to a men's team, the owner just goes, oh, okay, well, actually, like, we're losing money, so women's team can go. It's still got a dispensability about it, despite all the progress that's happened. It will be a lot harder now, I think, for clubs to make that decision, but it doesn't mean that it's not a possibility or a realistic possibility. Um, sorry. No, that's no, fine. No, no, I was, I, was, I was very happy listening to you, but that creates a sort of, so, so the sort of uh, nature of fandom um, does have that worry attached to it? Then that you're kind of, it, it's a bit, it's a bit sad in a way, isn't it? Because you kind of look at the the, the rotten crisis of the men's game over the last, really over the sort of the early seventies to really now we're you know we're still suffering this period of crisis for all sorts of reasons, um, and you don't really want it to affect something that clearly has such positive intent. But no. to some extent, unless grip occurs and unless people start to actually, you know, there's some proper rules and regulations about this, then you're going to get these crises and you're going to have that affecting fandom. I know there was another one, that, um, another club that, 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 that some of my students obviously put my UCFD hat on this again, who worked with um, a club called a, a Chorley, Chorley Women. You know, they've been removed from... Um, the men's stadium because they couldn't afford to pay what was being demanded. The interesting thing is that was exactly what was happening with, I remember, with sort of often with community, perhaps youth sides, associated sides with football clubs I was involved in, in, in sort of quite particular crisis periods when I was working at Supporters Direct. So it's like there's a little bit of a replication and now the victim is the women's club because it's an easy, it's an easy victim, isn't it? And it, but it's a lack of, a lack of, thought about what's possible here so the, the are we am i right to say that 
I don't want to overstate it, is the review of women's football, is that a really, is that as important as, you, as, as I think it is in terms yeah. of defining what the game becomes, the identity of clubs, the position of supporters' organisations, the types of fans you get, whether the culture moves across, the negative elements of the men's game move across culturally to women's game. So it is really as important as it looks. It's really important for the next steps. I mean, I think just going back to the point around like, so the differences in fans, the fans, some fans do want an atmosphere. They do want to chant, they want to sing and they want to experience football that way. And there is no casting aspersions on that. That It's then when it boils over into sort of pulling across stuff that is just super negative and toxic, that's just kind of unnecessary. Um, so I but like you know you do have a mixture of fans. This is where we're starting to see like a, a want and a and a need to have away sections, which has been extremely difficult to be an away fan. Um, and uh, I know a number of away people that travel away feel just unvalued by clubs, um, even though they're going to great lengths over great barriers to try to get to an away game. So it's like this is why supporter engagement and you know uh, fan led initiatives and stuff and you know fans being involved in decision making within clubs and at league level is vital because actually the women's game you know is making it harder to to be a fan to some degree and this is you know some of the things are getting better but so in terms of the away section fans want the away sections not at the sake of then it being segregation because that's something we want to avoid even just the term I think it creates a negative um connotation but having the choice is where it would be important so yes I want to go and be with people that are wearing the same shirt as me and sort of singing and chanting and particularly for lone supporters that's really important you know it's a sense of community and building a community you'd also then want to see a mixed section because me for example I like going and sitting amongst lots of different supporters it's you know it's kind of interesting for me then you have your home section so it could look and be completely different and set up in a completely different way in the women's game the trouble is that more steps that are being taken it seems like we're not necessarily using these opportunities and we're just using similar systems that are in the men's game I can kind of see this to a certain degree because from a resource perspective depending on what level you're working at it's it must be really difficult for a club you know they've got one person covering men's and women's and so they might they might not have the time to see or do things differently because they've kind of been t- directed to just go right this happens for the men's this happens for the women's and it's there's no real negotiation but the women's game review is really important in some of this stuff um and if done properly and with the involvement of supporters you know it could be brilliant for the women's game so much so so there's just a couple more points. I honestly, I can speak for hours to you on this because it's so it's so interesting because it's as a sort of, you know, a, a, it's kind of a petri dish. This is a kind of ex, a, a little a whole experiment in how a sport is established and how relationships are built over time between the people who ultimately make professionalism, certainly at top level, but you know they make these things possible, which is fans. For me, primary stakeholder in football clubs. You can't have a proper football club unless you've got fans in it. So. Ergo, absolutely critical. Um, so the, the 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 yeah the last sort of couple of points, couple of things I want to mention. So in terms of the the resource thing, that's an interesting thing, not surprising at all. 
that clubs say, well, you do football, right? Well, you do the women's as well then, right? You can do that. Um, and actually, that's going to have to be a challenge, isn't it? But I think that's a challenge when it comes to engagement. I think that's a challenge for a lot of clubs anyway, mm -hmm. if we're just talking about engagement, because we all know that clubs don't direct resources in that. Too many clubs don't direct resources in that area and are too busy trying to find the money to pay you know, a, a, an increase of salary for the left back than thinking that you might actually be better off diverting that into building engagement, you know, and actually ultimately that will build income. It's a long-term view, isn't it? So that's an interesting point. And then the final one, and this is a sort of question really, and you've been now attending, you know, and this is, this is where it gets distinct, very distinct from the, from the men's game. We had to virtually batter the doors down to get in, to be listened, and then to actually sit in meetings with, governing bodies and you know in the in the early early to mid 2000s actually got a place on the council and that increased and all sorts of things have changed you're in there from the ground up well to some degree very early on you're in there you're off meeting the FA on a regular basis right on behalf of fans is that going to make a big difference too if we got the kind of think about it as two pongs that you've got the review and then you've got your role which I suspect is way more active than any other element you know the clubs will they play in leagues the you know the players will they they might have support I don't know where from I don't know if the PFA extends across into the women's game but the most organized group in the women's game this is what I'm getting at is the fact the fans right because we've learned our lessons from the past we know what happens if you don't get the opportunity so how much is your role I put you on the spot um, you're going to make this succeed or fail, Deborah Dilworth. <laughs> I don't mean that. But you, your role really is very important, right? I don't... The FSA, the FSA yeah. I'm not saying you, but you are the conduit and you're not, a, you're not a neutral conduit, right? You're a very big advocate for the game and for women and for, 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 for building this game. Your role is very, very important as an organisation now, isn't it? I think, yeah, I think not my role, but the fact that women's football and we've got an active an, an active women's game network is is pivotal because actually there's this is the supporters groups that they're, they're the most important. All those people that are volunteering and working on a local level, they're the ones that are important. I I can't do my job without the, all those brilliant people that have got brilliant thoughts, brilliant minds and are des desperately like seeking to protect the women's game and to protect their their teams and their clubs and also to be an active part of communication that's just not marketing led okay because I think there was like there was roughly support engagement um I won't say support engagement but marketing led stuff that happened so focus groups and stuff like that um, you know, what we've tried to do is create a bit more of a structure and talk about lots of different issues, um, which I can't do unless I have really great supporters groups and a really good women's game network that come and meet on a regular basis and sort of showcase their work, but also uh, want to contribute nationally. So, I, but yeah, I completely agree. It, it's really important that the FSA have a women's game network and that over the last couple of years, that's grown from, you know, one or two to just under 50 um, from all across the pyramid. That has helped establish more and more relationships with the FA who, who have been absolutely willing to talk to us over the last couple of years you know, to the point where we've signed terms of references to have a structured dialogue meeting twice a season because they understand, you know, in one sense, we're all 
hoping for the same thing. We want to build active support for the women's teams across the pyramid, but also because actually working together is much better than working like this all the time. Um, you know, and we, we've got huge respect for the people that have driven this forward in, in terms of the FA. Some of the work that they've done to get the women's game to certain points has been amazing, really. And it's all because they love love and want the right treatment for the women's game so yeah i mean it's it's vital um and i'm really proud of my supporters groups for the work that they do and the contributions that they've made both to the fun-led review and to the women's game review so far um and then just generally some of the work that they're doing locally to like build communities because at the end of the day football clubs are a community asset that extends to the women's teams it's not just the men's like there's communities built around um women's teams now, look I, I did i meant it when i said it it's one of the most this is probably one of the most interesting conversations i've had since i've been doing this because it is a for me this is education for me so you know i'm interested in this i want to learn more about it and understand it but you know it's there, there so many questions spring up from from every single answer you give me. So at some point I'd like to get you on again in a slightly, perhaps in a slightly more focused conversation, maybe looking at something slightly specific. I don't know, but I really would like to have another conversation because this is, as I said, it's one of the best episodes I've done and I hope everyone enjoys it. So thanks very much for coming on. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Fan Engagement Pod. Don't forget episode links are available in the podcast description. Keep an eye out on fanengagement.net for the latest news. Find our socials on Linktree at linktr.ee forward slash thinkfanengagement. Uh, and you can register on the fanengagement.net website for free to get access to the Fan Engagement Hub with more detailed data and case studies from all the Fan Engagement Indexes. Don't forget the new Fan Engagement Index is coming out very soon. And please like, subscribe and share to this podcast. It really does help our visibility in a crowded podcast world. Thank you.